we made a deliberate decision to save money on public services, strip them to the bone, and now we turn around and we expect miracles and people sacrifice their lives and we applaud them and all of this is just offensive, frankly. Hello, I'm Catherine de Volder. This is Thinking Out Loud, conversations with leading philosophers from around the world on topics that concern us all. This is a special edition on ethical questions raised by the corona pandemic. Working on the front line of the coronavirus pandemic is dangerous. In the UK, more than 100 care workers have died from COVID-19. Some of these deaths could have been prevented if these workers would have had access to PPE, personal protective equipment. But there's a shortage, and now doctors and nurses in the UK have announced that they will stop working if they are not provided with adequate PPE. So do they have a moral obligation to keep working? I will talk to Udo Schuklenk, Professor of Philosophy at Queen's University, about this important topic. So you think that it's ethically acceptable for care workers um, who lack PPE to stop working, but aren't, um, for example, doctors under a moral obligation to provide care even in times of a crisis? I mean, don't they, an, don't they take an oath for that? Well, that, that's a very good question. I mean, what you're really asking is whether doctors, healthcare professionals generally, by virtue of being professionals, whether they have a professional obligation to provide care. So when you think back about what it means to be a professional, you are right. Um, doctors in particular, you know, they do this modern version of the Hippocratic Oath, which is uh, usually modeled on the, the Declaration of Geneva, a document produced by the World Medical Association. And indeed, I mean, it's a document where they're saying patient comes first. Um, I pro uh, basically, we promise to serve the public good by, by our actions. But of course, not to the point of their own actions or the risks that they are taking being super erogatory, like extraordinary. The question then, of course, is what constitutes extraordinary or super erogatory or whatever you want to call it? You could approach this different ways, right? You could look at traditions of how doctors actually have behaved um, in comparable or even worse emergencies. Think about the Ebola virus outbreak in, uh, in West Africa in 2014-15, uh, or go back to the bubonic plague or, or, or any number of other, of other um, pandemics, basically, and look at what doctors have done. In, in all of these incidences, in every single one, um, their response has been very idiosyncratic, very individualistic. Some literally took to the hills and tried to protect themselves and their loved ones. And others indeed sacrificed their lives, and it has been anything in between. So just doctors' behavior in the past does not answer that question. Then you can look at the, the issue of what are their values. And you will again, of course, have to resort then to documents like the, uh, the Declaration of Geneva, and you will find that until, don't hold me to it, the mid-1980s or mid-1990s, there they promised without any ifs and buts that in case of emergencies, they would be there for their patients. Quietly, they have removed that, the World Medical Association. So, um, so it isn't there anymore. There's actually nothing that would suggest that doctors, as far as they themselves are concerned, and they themselves understand their values and their traditions and whatever, that they have these kinds of obligations. So then you could look at something more recent uh, in the West, in the global north where we are right now, and you could probably, well, you should, I think, look at what happened with regard to HIV AIDS. HIV AIDS, for, for many years, was a life-threatening, it was a terminal illness, in fact. Um, those infected, unless they got access to antiretrovirals, and they didn't exist at the beginning for many years, uh, they died. So doctors, nurses, uh, in fact, dentists, for instance, too, were super concerned that they might pick something up from patients. And many of them 
questioned whether they had any obligation to provide care. In those days, the view was held by professional associations like doctors' associations, nursing associations, and statutory bodies that, in fact, they had an obligation to provide care. And the reason for that was that people at the time looked at the question of whether doctors and nurses could protect themselves. And while this was a terminal illness, a life-threatening illness, it was also fairly difficult to transmit or to acquire, however you want to look at this. So the view was basically held that if they practice universal precautions, they will be fine. They can protect themselves, and therefore they have an obligation to provide those professional services. And now let's look at this coronavirus thing. There, something very different is happening. The risk of death is significantly lower than HIV AIDS. However, it's also much more infectious. Way more doctors and nurses have already died all over. Uh, in, you mentioned uh, in in uh, in the in the UK more than a hundred. Um, in Italy, it's more than hundreds doctors alone. In the US, similar numbers, and the numbers are creeping up and up and up and up. What exacerbates this is the lack of protective equipment. And this is why I held a view, or why I argued at least publicly, um, that healthcare professionals have no such obligation if personal protective equipment is unavailable to them, because then they can't protect themselves. And then the actions are super erogatory. Now you could say, well, fair enough, but you know what? It's an emergency, seriously. They cannot just walk out and, and, and stay at home like everybody else tries to do as good as we can. I think that argument actually is mistaken. Um, the argument is mistaken because the reason why personal protective equipment is not available to them is not a fluke of nature. It's not something that wasn't preventable. Instead, it was a human-made activity. It was a direct result of healthcare systems in neoliberal capitalist societies trying to reduce cost, trying to be lean, trying to be efficient. When you think back about all these politicians, in the UK, you had austerity affecting the NHS for God knows how many years by now, probably since, since Thatcher, in fact. The same is true across Europe, right? Um, and across the United States and Canada, where I live, I mean, pick any country really in the global north, the liberal democracy, it's the same issue. What I'm arguing is that what really led to the lack of personal protective equipment was a decision by electorates really to elect governments that would ultimately reduce their taxes, put more money into the back pockets, as it were, because campaign lore of these kinds of organizations, of these kinds of political parties was always, we know best what to do with our money, as it were. Well, now we have our money and healthcare professionals have no equipment because that's a direct consequence of not resourcing healthcare systems adequately and running low tax regimes all over the world. So to turn then around as a society and say, hey, you doctors and nurses and cleaners in hospitals, hey, sacrifice your lives for us because we were too stingy to equip you appropriately, uh, seems, seems implausible. We made a deliberate decision to save money on public services, strip them to the bone, and now we turn around and we expect miracles and people sacrifice their lives and we applaud them. And all of this is just offensive, frankly. So suppose that the lack of PPE was a result of a natural disaster, say um, an order of PPE um, disappeared due to an earthquake. Then you wouldn't necessarily think that it be acceptable for doctors to just say, like, look, we're not going to treat patients because we don't have enough protection? What people have argued in the literature that they said, yeah, 
we can expect a higher degree of risk, but not to the point of self-sacrifice. I was just wondering what the implications are of your view for um, people working in other essential um, sectors. So I'm just thinking of um, bus drive, like transport um, or delivery services and, and so on. So does it follow from your view that um, it's also acceptable ethically acceptable for these people to stop working if they are not provided with appropriate PPE or at least some sort of protection? Or is, do we have to think differently about this? I think there's less of a problem because there nobody's under delusions that these people, if they are not bound by professional codes of conduct, they have no professional obligations to anybody. So if you decide not to drive your bus anymore or you stop uh, delivering pizzas and you can afford that, um, that's your decision. You don't owe this to anybody. There's really a difference with regard to professionals because they have a monopoly on the provision of particular services. So the public then really can't go anywhere else. And this is why there is a different kind of contract between professionals and society versus other workers. And I'm not at all minimizing the importance of the work that they're doing and that they should be paid better. Uh, that's a different argument. What I'm saying is because they are not monopoly providers of these services, uh, uh, I couldn't even see why they should have any obligation other than maybe a contractual obligation. But the kicker is, of course, because of globalization, it's a gig economy. So in the same way that they can get hired and fired, they can also leave if they can afford it. And that's always the, 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 the only caveat, really. But beyond that, um, again, we should be grateful to anybody who does this. But they have no obligation whatsoever. So you're saying they don't have an ethical obligation. The doctors, the, the healthcare workers, the social workers don't have an ethical obligation to keep working. But does that also imply um, that they shouldn't get fired if they stop working? They shouldn't lose their jobs for, for refusing. Uh, because none of us would lose their jobs if you refuse to basically um, sacrifice our lives while we do the job. It's a bit like saying, hey, you know what, you're a firefighter and too bad we have no equipment to protect you. Like something as basic, like say, as, as oxygen, for instance, and masks, right? Well, too bad we don't have this, but go in there anyway. If you don't make it, well, tough. Um, it's all we could afford. This is really not how that works. Um, so, of course, they should be protected. And I was pleased to see, in fact, that the, uh, the what is it called, the, the Royal Nursing Organization, don't hold me to this, but the Royal College of Nursing or something in, in the UK, uh, they came up with a very strong statement saying their members are under no obligation whatsoever to provide these services. And if anybody fires them, they are going to sue over that. And, and I was pleased to see that, to be honest, because that is an appropriate response. Um, yeah, maybe... One more question is um, about further implications of your view. So it's one thing to say um, that it's ethically acceptable to stop working under these circumstances. I think that's really important, but it clearly can't be the end of the discussion because even if it's ethically acceptable for them to take that decision to stop working, I mean, they still carry an enormous moral burden, I think, because they know that due to their decision, I mean, people, extra people may die, more people will suffer. They also abandon their colleagues in a certain sense. So it seems like us saying like, look, it's ethically acceptable for you to do that. It's good, but it's just far from enough. I mean, we should sort of ensure that these people never ever end up in a situation where they have to take that decision i think that i think that's do you agree with that that it's there's more that well well yes of course i mean i mean you would hope that people understand 
as far as taxes and services are concerned, that you can't have your cake and eat it. You can't expect uh, high quality public services and not pay for those. And that's really the end of it all. And one would hope that when this is all said and done, that people understand that there's a direct connection between low taxes and these kinds of disasters. Um, I think we should really reconsider this whole thing and don't get too excited when somebody offers to cut our taxes even more and we should ask what does it mean, either for the most vulnerable but in this particular case really otherwise well-paid healthcare professionals. This is I think the lesson that we need to learn from this, that this was a non-starter this whole thing. Whether this will happen is a different issue but that certainly would be my take on that. Thanks for listening to this Thinking Out Loud interview. You can also watch Thinking Out Loud videos on YouTube on the Practical Ethics channel and remain up to date via the Thinking Out Loud Facebook page.